Ben shouts out to Dwight from a distance after shooting Teddy. Just the one? Yes. <laughs> That's your delivery of yes. Start, uh, take, take it again. Take it again. Uh-huh. Ben shouts out to Dwight from a distance after shooting Teddy. Just yes. The oh, my God. <laughs> I'm nervous. Take three. Ben shouts out to Dwight from a distance after shooting Teddy. Just the one? Yes. Sorry, I had to wait for him to aim before I could shoot. It had to be legal, at least on my part. Points at Teddy's corpse. His head? That's what bullets do. Welcome to Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film hosted by two small-town cowards. I'm Trevor... And I'm Adam. And yee-haw! That's our catchphrase this week, by the way. Uh, if you have a better catchphrase, if you don't think that one will stick, please email us at ghostpartypictures at gmail.com, and I will read your new catchphrase on the, t- on the show. What's going on, Adam? What's going on? Not too much. You know, uh, in the last episode, in the intro, I brought up that uh, I thought that the guy from this movie looked like Paul McCartney. After having seen the movie, I completely disagree with that statement. Do you think that he... Okay, so you're saying that the bearded version of him looks like Paul McCartney in that bearded era. Yeah, there's like a title card thing on Netflix that, and where its head is like kind of exploding, you know, it's kind of artistic, but I thought that was Paul McCartney for years. Well, I mean, I, I that, that exact shot that you're talking about is like the one screenshot I think of when I think of this movie all the time, and I always forget that like... 80% of the movie he does I mean 85% of the movie he doesn't have that beard yeah yeah he looks good he's a good kid uh, Adam uh, so so rude of us to begin talking about Blue Ruin so quickly without introducing our guest who is a big Blue Ruin fan the reason why he's on the show today this is a director that I know not necessarily a filmmaker by any means I wouldn't call him a filmmaker but the guy can absolutely direct please welcome to the show my good friend Zishan Yunos hello Zishan Hello, Adam, and um, to your co-host, uh, I believe his name is Trevor. I, yeah, nice to meet you, too. Trevor. It's not important. So yeah, it's really thank you. It's really it's, check out that energy just right up top that Zishan's bringing into the show. Yeah, you know, um, I'm curious. Did you not watch Blue Ruin forever, Adam, because you thought it was a Paul McCartney movie? It kind of factored in. I, I've seen that on year, or for years on Netflix, um, and it, I, I knew that it was the same guy who did Green Room. But uh, I just never made the plunge. I am a big Beatles fan. Okay, don't don't think I'm a poser. Yeah, I gotta go. Um, it was really nice being on your podcast. Uh, I wish you both the best. See you, Zishan. Thank yeah, you. Take care. Yeah, so I think uh, before we get into it, uh, Jeremy Saulnier, uh, he made Blue Ruin, Green Room, and Yellow Submarine. <laughs> yeah, I got a joke in real, real early. Yeehaw. Uh, Zishan, thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, like I mentioned that you are uh, a filmmaker, a very good filmmaker. And I know Adam actually just watched uh, your most recent film, Prefigured. Adam, what did you think of Prefigured? Oh, I didn't watch it. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I asked you for it last night to see if there's any jokes I could get out of it. But uh, since you blew my cover here, I didn't watch it. <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Wait, are you fucking serious? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I mean, my first joke was going to be me coming in here and saying like, Oh, you know, I had a, I had sort of prefigured this movie to be really indie heavy, but you know, blah blah blah. Uh, 
But that's oh, gone. God. That would have played really well. Zishan, I know your latest film prefigured. Uh, I've seen it about a dozen times uh, on the big screen, on my phone, which I know you prefer. Uh, and also, it, it, it exposes you as a big fan of genre film, which, as you know, because you're a fan of this podcast, we like to deconstruct genres on this podcast. What was the inspiration uh, that went into prefigured in terms of genre? Well, first of all, um, I, I really... Anybody that's listening to this podcast, please watch Prefigured on your Apple Watch um, on the smallest possible screen. You can, if you have a Tamagotchi, find a way to watch it on your Tamagotchi. Um, Prefigured is is really a grounded approach to what my favorite type of genre of film is, which is is dark, abysmal, uh, dreadful science fiction, um, Lovecraftian science fiction without. Nicolas Cage running around screaming his head off and things coming out of the well um, in crazy, stupid, idiotic colors. So, uh-huh. so, so prefigured to me is is what I would like to see more of in the world, which is just a really kind of slow and darkness encroaching um, take on things that we don't really understand or comprehend. So you would say your favorite uh, genre of cinema is what did you say? Soul crushingly dark science fiction. Yeah, anything that's grounded and and miserable and sad and existential, I will go for 100% of the time. So I'll I'll watch Hubie Halloween with you all the time, Trevor, but it's not going to be my go-to when you're not around. And I do appreciate that. Uh, Your favorite genre of film does not uh, always play so well at our hangouts that we used to have pre-P-word, pre-pandemic. We don't use the word pandemic here. We say P-word. Um, great. So you kind of answered my question already about what your favorite genre of cinema is. Um, so what makes what what makes for a good soul-crushingly dark science fiction film? And what what, what are drops them? I know you're a huge fan of Annihilation, which, I, you know, that hit me pretty hard when I saw it. Yeah, I, I love Annihilation. Um, you know, I will always hearken back to to Alien and what it did for the genre of science fiction and really advancing it to to the level that I think um, it, it is now for the most part. But I think it, it requires us to not be in the land of like um, rocket ships and things floating and like, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, if you can be within four walls and feel like a world is constructed around you and that world is getting smaller and scarier and more terrifying with every step that you take, I think that's what really makes science fiction scary. I mean, it it is a reflection of all the things that we're dealing with in our own lives, just like horror is in many ways. But I think science fiction specifically attaches itself to more grandiose ideas like... um, you know, God or the future or what we want humanity to be versus what we are now. And 99% of the time, as we see today in, in the real world, um, we're let down basically at every fucking corner. Yeah, yeah uh, and, and you, you made a you made a, uh, a great short film of Prefigured, obviously, and it nails everything you just said, but it truly does feel original and from your voice, which I think is an extremely um, important thing, of course, in low budget in, and even short filmmaking. So uh, we'll get to that in the plug section. You can tell people where they can actually watch the movie. But Adam, you had a question? Yeah. First of all, very excited to check out that film, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, actually, uh, so are you a big sci-fi literature person, too? Because I've, I've had trouble making the crossover. I read a lot of sci-fi, but I haven't watched a lot of sci-fi movies. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the other way around. I mean, I grew up reading Lovecraft, which I think is is a very specific genre of science fiction. And 
a lot of my internal anatomy is built off of that platform and, and how it made me feel as a kid and the things that it kind of led me to be interested in. But yeah, I don't read a lot of science fiction. Um, Annihilation is probably the last science fiction book I've read more than once that like I was captivated by and think about often and draw on for inspiration. But other than that and like the anthology of Lovecraft's work, I, I think I'm kind of in the opposite boat of you, Adam, in this sense. I feel that. Uh, okay, I have a serious question. It's not going to sound serious, but have you seen or how do you feel about the movie Happy Feet? Um, Happy Feet, the Penguin movie, right? Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure there wasn't like some weird Korean film named Happy Feet that I was going to sound like an idiot for not Hardcore knowing. Hardcore sci-fi movie. Um, Happy no, Happy Feet fucks. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's horribly depressing. Exactly, yeah. And there's also those those uh, elements of sort of existential dread of what are aliens maybe if they're around kind of thing. Totally, yep. Well, I love that genre too. And uh, I understand that's your genre of choice, but we are in the middle of our revenge saga here. What is your relationship with revenge? My relationship with revenge? I don't, I don't usually... <laughs> I don't usually go for revenge as like a pillar of my personality. I feel like vengeance and revenge don't really get me very far. Also, I, I haven't been in a situation to really be like, oh, I need to get revenge on this person. Outside wow, of my yeah, relationship yeah. with Trevor, I feel like I haven't felt that feeling in a long time. Fuck you, Trevor. You live a, you live a charmed life if you're not constantly thinking about revenge. Yeah. I know you watched what happened last Wednesday, and this will date the episode, on January 6th, and you wanted revenge. You know what? That that's true. As a, listen, as a minority in America, no, I'm, I, that's fine. I'm, I won't go down that path. But. <laughs> film podcast, film podcast. Yeah. Um, no, I have. It's funny when you talk to me about this episode. I thought of like my top five revenge films, and I thought it was going to be a struggle, and they actually came to me pretty quickly. Um, and these are films that I feel are revenge films. So if you don't agree with me, that's fine. I don't care. Um, <laughs> So I and these are not ranked in any order whatsoever. Um, but for me, I saw the devil, uh, Fury Road, <gasps> Night of the Hunter, um, the Macbeth with Fastbender, and I think obviously the reason why we're here today, Blue Ruin. But those are my top five revenge films. I'm sticking to them, and I will fist fight anybody that has a problem with it. Um, so you do have a deep history with the film that we're about to discuss. So why don't we just get right into it? Of course, today we are discussing 2013's Blue Ruin from a little filmmaker named Jeremy Saulnier. What I like to do, we're going to go through the, what we're going to talk about real quick, just very, very, very quickly. Uh, we're going to go over what the movie's about. We're going to read some letterbox reviews because I like to take it to the people. Then we're going to talk about Zishan's history with the film, uh, the history of Jeremy Solomon, of course, what normcore revenge looks like, some of the tropes that um, Blue Ruin, of course, covers, making Blair's performance in this film, any standout sequences, and then we're going to rate this some bitch on a very arbitrary and Byzantine scoring system that Adam and I obviously put together in the intro to Revenge episode. First of all, this is called Blue Ruin. It is about a mysterious outsider's quiet life that's turned upside down when he returns to his childhood home to carry out an act of vengeance, proving himself to be an amateur assassin. I love that. I love that right there. Amateur assassin really makes up for the entire film. Uh, let's read some letterbox reviews. 
Adam. I'm going to read a review right off the top. I like to stay with the activity from my friends. I'm not going to just read random reviews. If you're my friend on Letterboxd, at Captain Dills, maybe I'll read your review on the show. But here's a review from Kevin Cookman, who's one of my favorite. He, uh, his podcast, Aya vs. the Big Boys. It's absolutely great. It's not better than this podcast, but uh, (laughs) he reviewed this in June of 2014, so not too long after the movie came around. He says, fierce, focused, and patient. It's one thing to see a killer in the shadows, but it's another very special thing entirely to spend a whole movie waiting alongside him. Uh, The next review is from (laughs) Craig Duffy. He reviewed it in 2014 and also in December, so not too long after it came out. He calls it an above-average revenge film, even though it doesn't bring anything new to the table. I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about that. Good performances and very good-looking and sounding for the budget. So a lot of caveats there. Uh, Solid review from Craig there. Uh, We'll we'll get into the budget and all of that. And then finally, Demi Adijawebe says, Damn, now that's a revenge movie. Uh, Zishan, tell us, Blue Ruin, I went to you directly when I knew we were going to be doing this movie. It's available on Netflix. Tell us a little bit about your history with this specific movie. Yeah, you know, this movie came on my radar in its infancy, kind of at the the Kickstarter phase of it. And I followed it from then when I saw it randomly posted on Reddit um, all the way to when it was released on Netflix. So there was a huge amount of anticipation for me as somebody just watching this guy pick himself up by the bootstraps and basically put his entire life on the line to make this project. I think it was something like, hey, I'm going to take a second mortgage on my house and I'm going to max out my credit cards and ask my wife for money and her family for money. I mean, he was very uh, adamant about saying, listen, like, I'm going to try to make this. And if it doesn't fucking work out, like, at least I'll have tried my best. And I really admired that. So when I finally saw Blue Ruin, I had so much hype behind it. And it did not at all fill what I assumed it would be. Um, and it was such a strange feeling to be on that ride and, and be there with the filmmaker in a lot of ways. And then see it come to screen and be like, oh shit, like this is not only not at all what I expected, but it's so delicate and nuanced and I've never seen anything like it. Um, And to me, that was such a vindicating and fucking awesome feeling. And then I just knew from there it was going to be like a really exciting thing to watch Saulnier's career blow up and watch Megan Blair do all these great things. and, And history has proved that that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Sonia, of course, went on to make uh, Green Room, which we're both big fans of. Uh, Adam, do you like Green Room? Yes. Yeah, and then uh, he made the Netflix film Hold the Dark, which is just pitch black, like one of the darkest movies I've ever seen with Riley Keough and Jeffrey Wright are both great in that. And then, of course, he directed, I believe, a couple of uh, episodes of True Detective Season 3, which uh, I watched those episodes. I thought they were fine. I've seen Blue Ruin a lot on Netflix for years, like I said in the beginning. Um, but I was kind of like not that interested in it. I don't know why. It just didn't rub me the right way. It seemed like a pretty heavy indie Netflix movie. And at the time, you know, in the early 2010s, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's there. Maybe I'll try it sometime. Um, and so I'm so glad that this was put on here. And Zishan, I think you summed it up perfectly. Delicate is the word here. It's so human, but so simple. Uh, I loved it. I went in not expecting to like it, just expecting to get through it, and I, I loved it. 
Yeah, so when we deconstruct this movie, uh, we've talked about a lot of revenge movies already in this series, but this is the only thing that I could really say is like normcore revenge. Like, Azishan, have you heard people describing it as that? Uh, I've heard you describe it as that, so... Yeah, I just wanted to point out that I am uh, I am coining that term, normcore revenge. Right, it comes um, from uh, Cheers. You know, every time the guy would come into the bar, they'd yeah. say... A norm, norm joke. Yeah, I, well, no, a norm joke. We get it. I thought you were going to go with a Norm McDonald thing. Uh, but... Um, so yeah, a lot of the times the violence feels like it comes out of nowhere. It's uh, it's it's interesting. I, I I'm not going to call it a deconstruction. It's not an anti-revenge film in any way because a lot of times in uh, deconstruction or anti anti-genre films, the characters are aware that they're in like. Like it would be different if Macon Blair was walking around uh, aware he was in a revenge movie. You know what I mean? Other than one line in this movie, I think where he says speeches will get you killed, um, which in the end, a speech does get him killed. Uh, the characters don't seem to know they're in a revenge movie. So that's, that's what I think that's what we mean by it's, it's delicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's subtle. It's, it's, it's very grounded. And I know you like a grounded approach to a film, Zishan. So, so in terms of deconstructing revenge and what I'm calling norm core revenge, what are the, what are some little subtle touches that you liked in this film? Okay. So I'm going to backtrack real quick because I, I, I think that the, the subtlety and the, the delicate nature of this project started in, in the intro video to the Kickstarter, which was just Macon Blair walking around in a sweaty t-shirt with a gun, while one of my favorite songs of all time, I Hope You Die by Y Oak, is playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And it just sets the tone for what we as an audience are, are to be expecting. And, and when you get into Blue Ruin and what it does, I think it, it really talks about the consequences and the price of vengeance, right? It, it says, like, the most violent parts of human nature and our human experience are right under the surface, and all it takes is a little fucking tiny push to get us there. And I think that's what makes a good revenge tale, is if you feel like, hey, I'm only, as a person, as a seemingly normal person, I'm maybe four or five little pushes away from being in this exact situation. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I I love that aspect of it. I love the humanity outside of the revenge story. Also, I think some of the best moments in this film are when Macon Blair's character is just having a conversation with his sister, or with uh, the guy in his trunk, or with his best buddy, or even at the end, you know, when he has that speech. It's all feels so good. He even says, "I don't have any speeches or anything prepared, man." When he's trying to get the gun from his friend, mm-hmm. it all feels so good and so. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, I don't want to keep saying like real and human, but it was. I was completely there with them. I think it's because, and we're going to find this out, we didn't draft Kill Bill because it's not available anywhere. Um, that'll be playing at the drive-in, of course, at the Free Cinema drive-in in February uh, because one of our board members has a birthday coming up. But we're used to the, to like, even Zishan referenced earlier, like the I Saw the Devil maximalist revenge story or the Kill Bill maximalist. The South Korea has been dominating the genre for the past 20 years almost that when you see something this grounded, it just, it there's something very, very satisfying about it. One little part that I... My, maybe my favorite moment in the movie is when he walks out of the bar and he had, he just killed the dude and he sees the limo and he wants to go spike the limo's tire and he takes a knife to the tire you know in any other movie just a normal dude like Macon Blair would just pop that tire real easy but in real life a tire is really fucking hard to pop with a knife 
and it just slips off the tire and cuts the shit out of his hand. And then all of a sudden, we go into an amazing trope that I love in revenge movies and movies in general, sometimes in westerns. I know there's a, a fantastic one in No Country for Old Men, but the self-surgery scene, I'm hoping we see more of these in the revenge movies. But I love when a character has to uh, – it's not Prometheus, I know, has the best self-surgery scene of all time. But um, just having to do surgery on yourself to reconstruct yourself so you can continue your revenge tale. Uh, I loved that scene so much when he comes out of the bar. I mean, shout out to the Prometheus drop though, right there. Honestly, that's this is probably the first time Prometheus has ever been discussed on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. also that that felt so that felt very Kanye to me to be talking about some shit and then be like sidebar uh, Prometheus. Um, yeah, yeah, there. Um, it's funny if we're talking favorite parts. A there's a conversation, a very slight conversation that happens between the character Ben and Dwight and. Ben looks at Dwight and he says, so you're like in this and it's yeah. my fucking favorite because what it is is Saulnier talking to us, right? So he's letting us know like, yo, as an audience, like you need to strap in because there's absolutely no going back from here. Like we're going to get to the bloody end of this. And if you're not along for the ride, you got to get up and get out. Yeah. And in each line feels, I, I felt, you know, that strength behind pretty much each line in this movie. I feel like he knew... He not only sort of synthesized what he wanted to say um, into like the simplest words, each character here, and each one hits so hard, I think. Like that line, like any line in this movie just hits hard. Um, I, I just want to say this one-liner that I wrote down. If the devil's in the details, then this movie is satanic. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Um, before we get too far away from this, I think what shows that Saulnier knows revenge so well is he puts that line in after Macon Blair's character drives away in their limo and the limo kid gets out. And the limo kid says, I don't think he did when he's talking about uh, his uncle killing that, killing his family. I love that. And then the kid runs away. You know, there's no speech there either, but it plants doubt in us because we know what's going to happen. We know this is going to be like a cycle here. Um, but we're always going to remember that simple phrase. I don't think he did. It's so efficient. It's frustratingly efficient. And the and the the tone of the movie is like so incredibly envious, man. Like it, it's it's almost absurdist at time because they're poking fun at like how insane it is that Macon Blair is like legitimately having to get revenge on a whole family, uh, mostly due to situational comedy. I, I'm I'm a big fan of movies that don't like rely on jokes but more situational dark comedy i think this this absolutely absolutely nails it um i mentioned no country for old men earlier that's really what what i love is when a movie can't really be compared to something else and no country for old men is kind of the closest thing i can get to this i know you really like that movie Tishan. i mean everyone that movie slaps but um have you have y'all seen the jeff nichols michael shannon movie shotgun stories mm-hmm yeah, this is very shotgun story. So uh, anybody listening to this who liked Blue Ruin, who has a modicum of taste, check out Shotgun Stories. I was thinking about drafting it, of course, for this, but it's not really readily available anywhere. If you like Blue Ruin, you're going to like that. I mean, Jeff Nichols, he don't miss. Him and Michael Shannon together, they don't miss. So definitely, definitely check that out. Um, any other standout sequences, guys? I mean, we're getting through this pretty quickly. Um, any favorite scenes, Sushant? Um I, I like that scene where kind of Ben and Dwight build their relationship up and, and Dwight says, you know, um, hey, if you find that picture of me, you know, I want you to burn it. 
you know, right. get rid of me from from your life. It's also another shout out to the audience saying like, all right, we're nearing the end of this journey and we need to be ready to let go of Dwight's character. Um, but I do like that he chooses to have that speech at the end and he knows what it's going to mean and he's kind of looking at the tunnel of death, right? And saying like, all right, I'm ready to walk into this. And, and he says something like, oh, just because your mom and my dad, like we're all going to end up dead. And it just talks back to, I think what you were saying, Trevor, and I, I fucking hate that I have to go back to something that you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it is that absurdist black comedy, right? Uh, like, hey, you know, yeah, I know that this is crazy, but it's going to fucking happen. Like, I just, I love it. Um, Trevor went to go get a pizza. So uh, I'll say um, Trevor had told me that Macon Blair is also director. And I think that kind of made me skeptical about his acting abilities, which isn't fair, really, but... Going in, I figured that he'd kind of like play it pretty soft in terms of acting. Um, and then the scene where he does self-surgery, but that time where he has to take the arrow out of his leg, I felt that pain. He was screaming, the camera's right on him, and I rarely believe when characters are like, or when actors are feigning pain. And that was just, wow, I was totally in it. I, I have so much respect for his acting there. Oh, yeah, he, he is an unreal actor and I think some of his parts in Green Room are are my favorite too you know he says something in Green Room that's like he says like call the police or get the police and it's just like the saddest line delivery ever yeah he's he's by the way sorry Adam was right I actually did order food we're in the middle of a p word guys and we're just recording podcasts all day so I had to order some food uh how do you find someone like making player man like like wait a minute we're in the middle of a p word and you ordered a p word while we're doing a p word oh geez i actually ordered mediterranean food so uh you can you can try and throw the the stereotypical uh pizza stuff on me but nah man mediterranean food uh-huh. uh Whatever. but uh Zeeshan, i know you i i didn't even check out the imdb trivia section for this one i know you probably have some cool caveats and some insights but do you have any idea how saulnier and megan blair hooked up I think they were, I think they're like longtime friends. Um, I know that Saulnier was like a cinematographer and DP and just like ran in circles with actors and creators. And either they were like longtime friends, or I may even just make shit up and say they were childhood friends because I like the way that sounds better. You know, you know what he, you know what the relationship between him and Megan remind me of is um, like the relationship I would have with like a Nicholas Thurkettle or like an Ariel Barber who are like actors that I've worked with who I now feel it impossible to write things that are new without them in mind for taking those roles because they're just so good and they're so close to me and I appreciate them so much. And I feel like Saulnier found Macon or maybe vice versa. And now he has this dude who's like, yeah, man, anything I make, like you need to add flavor to it. Yeah. And that, that's, I was talking earlier that that feels like what the Jeff Nichols, Mike Shannon, Mike, that's like every movie that Jeff Nichols makes Michael Shannon is in it, whether he's starring in it or he's just taking a bit part. Um, you saying that they're like childhood friends. I a hundred percent believe that. I just feel like that's the only way you can settle into just nailing the casting of a movie like this. So thoroughly, like, like, you know, Macon Blair, is, he's a pretty good filmmaker himself. He just got handed the keys to the Toxic Avenger. Uh, Troma's going to let him remake that. That's probably going to be a lot of fun. And I, his movie, uh, I don't want to be, what is it called? Like, I don't want to be in this world anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I don't feel safe in this world anymore. Yeah, I don't feel safe in this world anymore. I'm thinking of any things. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, that was really fun. I was telling Zishan that um, like the first 15 minutes of that movie, there's like three parts that are like three of the funniest jokes or like situational humor moments in a movie I've seen in recent memory. So hmm. um, sometimes it sometimes it be like that. You just you get in a movie like Blue Ruin. Uh, you take a bit part in the dude's next movie, and the next thing you know, you're making your own movies. Uh, and he was in like Florida Project as as for a little bit. He was good in that. He showed up in that Soderbergh movie, uh, Logan Lucky. He was like all over the place for a bit. Sometimes it do be like that. You are you are right. Sometimes you're just friends with an uh, an absolutely fantastic filmmaker. He puts you in their movies, and then you become a very good filmmaker yourself. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're undercutting Megan Blair here. I feel like. He, I mean, he carried Blue Ruin, right? I mean, like, it's one thing to be Saulnier making a great film, but it's another thing to pull a Brad Pitt at Astra and carry the whole film on your shoulders. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think his acting chops in this were. I mean, I was, I was very skeptical, like I said, and he pulled it through. Yo, shout out Megan Blair. You know, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. My name in our chat right now uh, that we're recording this in is Macon Blob. Uh, I don't know. A question for you guys. What's the deal with um, no one locking their cars around here in this area? Um, I, I, I've, I've like, um, my brother has a cabin in Big Bear. And up there, if you, like, lock your doors, like, people laugh at you. Like, they're like, why are you locking your doors? Like, no one's going to steal, like, the crime rate around here. So, so maybe it was, like, a backwoods thing where if you, like, you lock your doors, people think you're, like... Like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I, what do you think, Zishan? Uh, I actually feel like it's probably like a more hillbilly thing. Like I've been through parts of Ar- uh, Arkansas and like the dredges of Texas. And I know that people that have a whole bunch of like family members, they just leave the keys in the car because it's easier to do that than it is to be like, hey, where's a... Uh, Where's Billy Joe? Let me get them truck keys. You know, nobody has time for that. Yeah, that's such a classic trope in movies where you like he get when he gets into the limo and he just like lifts down the visor and the the keys are there. You know, that's just such a classic thing that people always just leave their keys in their car. I mean, I'm not with that. You know, I grew up in the hard streets of Anna Crime, so I mean, the descent did it. If the descent did it, anybody can do it. Zishan, are you a gamer? Uh, I've been known to game. Did you play The Last of Us Part Two? I did not play that game. Um, yeah, that so that I kind of brought that up as one of my favorite experiences of 2020. You know, which was a bleak year overall, but uh, it was a revenge tale in itself. And this reminded me a lot of that in its tone, in its pacing, and its sort of undercut brilliance. You know, in a lot of ways. And that made it even more enjoyable for me. I think that's what I love in a revenge story, just some some natural realism that I can connect to. Yeah, I, I'm actually, um, one of the scripts that I wrote this year is a, a feature based on a short film that I made, The Vicious. Check that out on watchalter.com. But um, it's that Blue Ruin, actually, um, it's funny. I don't know if you remember, Zishan, but in the, the lookbook for the short we made, um, uh, is the shot of him walking away from the limo covered in blood with the beard and stuff like that. And it's a huge, huge reference on the vicious feature because it just has that grounded, uh, it's a little more of a fantastical script, but if you have blue ruin in your back pocket, and I mean, no disrespect to blue ruin because blue ruin doesn't, you know, doesn't fit in anyone's back pocket. It's a full ass movie and it's fantastic. But if you have that mindset in the back of your head, Hopefully your movie won't get overblown and it'll be, you know, even a third as good as Blue Ruin would be something great. So No, totally. Yeah. I mean if if you use Blue Ruin as your foundation or your ceiling to just let you know what lane to stay in, I mean I I don't think that you're gonna go too far off track. Right. And if you show your family who doesn't watch movies Blue Ruin and you tell them that you made it, I think 
they'll be proud of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just shut it off right before the credits hit. <laughs> That's really good, actually. <laughs> like, like my parents who have like literally never watched anything I've made. I've made two short films, but uh, one of which we shot like half of at their house, and they still didn't watch it. It'd be really funny in like five years to be like, check out this movie I made, and they watch it, and they're like, oh, good job. And it's like, okay, well, this movie actually is highly acclaimed. It's really, really good, and you're 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 giving not only me but Jeremy, my buddy Jeremy, the short shrift on this one. Yeah, I think I would probably go with uh, showing my family Parasite. <laughs> Just this massive crossover hit. Yeah, big Korean movie. An international film. Mom, Dad, Avatar. <laughs> it's like, uh, it was okay. It's like, uh, cool, actually. It's the highest grossing movie of all time, so you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, okay, so let's rate this some bitch. So, Zishan, what we're about to do is we're going to go through five categories that are arbitrary and absolutely Byzantine in their construction and that... Adam and I basically went back and forth talking about what makes for a good revenge movie. And uh, 1 to 10, and you're going to start in each of these categories. We're going to go through them. Category number 1. How fucked over at the beginning of the story is the protagonist of this film? There's the trope in revenge movies where we start where maybe the person is left for dead. Or we see uh, later maybe in a flashback that their girlfriend has been killed or something. But how, um, you know, we, we of course, come to Macon Blair who's in, in the Blue Ruin, uh, the Pontiac, right? With the with – the, uh, the Pontiac has bullet holes in it, uh, I noticed this time watching it. Is is it supposed to be – It's it, I mean, obviously – Saulnier wouldn't just leave that in there, but it's supposed to be the same Pontiac that his uh, his mom was shot in, right? That's correct, yeah. That's awesome and weird that I missed that the first two times because it's so deliberate. Adam, did you catch that? I had no idea. Yeah, all right. Did you know that Blue Ruin was referencing the Pontiac? No, I thought I thought uh, uh, Saulnier was going for like a color thing. Um, just like Prefigured, did you actually watch this film? Adam, have you ever seen any film? I said Happy Feet, right? Oh, banger. That's a banger. Yep. Yeah. Did we already talk about that being a banger? Adam, have you seen uh, the tr- the arrival of the train at the station? Actually, I made that one. <laughs> this is the sc- scariest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I, played th- I played that at the Frida, and people were sprinting out of the theater. <laughs> That's a deep one. Good job. Uh, yeah. La Revolte de Train at the Crescent. Okay. How fucked over is the good guy? Category w- w- number one, one through ten, Zishan. What do you think? Uh, one, bro. I mean, he's not fucked over. He chooses <laughs> to jump into this. Like, he could have just gone on with the rest of his life and lived in Blue Ruin. And, like, yeah, it's, that's a one for me. Uh, I'll take this one out of sec. I have to agree that I love the, the <laughs> I love the arbitrary scoring system we're scoring all these movies on because we've discussed a few movies that we haven't liked nearly as much as Blue Ruin, but it very well, based on these five categories, score much lower than those movies. But I have to agree, he's not that fucked over. He really is taking it upon himself. And honestly, the justification of what happened to his family and all that is is it's it's so realistic it's not necessarily insanely strong or extreme but it's very realistic and he took it upon himself i'm gonna give it a three i don't think he's that fucked over all right well let me pose you guys a question hopefully you haven't read all of a series of unfortunate events books but you know (laughs) at the beginning the baudelaire orphans become orphans right however they have a whole effing fortune that's coming to them pretty soon would Mm. you say they're effed over uh no i give them a one too no, actually, I give them. I'll give them a five. 
Because they're orphans off the jump. Do they know that they're getting money? Yeah, they yeah. Because I mean, they were living it up rich before anyway. Oh yeah, then one. Fuck those orphans. <laughs> Fuck them kids. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for Dwight here. Um, you could tell. No, the question's not how bad you feel for him. How fucked over is yeah, he? Yeah, I'm getting there because because like he he has uh, you could tell he has like a lot of anxiety. He's got some some mental illnesses that he's grappling with. And he's obviously homeless, which is likely a result of him losing his family and yeah. where his income was. Um, so I get it. I mean, I could at least sympathize with him. I was going to give him a 10, but now I got to shrink it down a little bit from Pierre. No, Adam, Adam, you actually make a good point. He actually, at the beginning, of, I, I, he's actually, you know, he's living in his car. You're actually making some decent points here. I'm going to bump mine up to a five. I'm going to lower mine to a zero. <laughs> his sister is trying to reach him. She's doing fine. She has kids. She would gladly take him in. I mean, no doubt that he has mental illness and that that's a struggle, but there's a part of me that feels like he wants to settle into this hatred and feeling of like wanting to get vengeance. So yeah, you get a, you get a zero to one for me. No, yeah. what was Adam's number? Uh, I'm seven. Seven. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I give it to Holy him. Holy smokes. Okay. Um... Category number two, Zishan. How high are the stakes slash how heavy does the justice feel? Yeah, I'll say it, it is more of like that. How is he in the right for each step of this journey, for each thing that he does? Is he is he the good guy here? Are the stakes justified? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that he I don't think anything he does is in the right. Um, so I'll give him I'll give him a three in this category. I love bombing your own movie, but like keeping it real, like that these <laughs> categories are so whack that you're like, I love this movie, but like it's not going to score high on this scale. Uh, is it justified? I, I, it, it's this is not super justified what he's doing. He's going out of his way. It's it's family business. He kind of seems to be kind of poking his head where he shouldn't. Um, it really didn't have that much to do with him. Um, but I'm gonna. I'm being a little. I'm being a little obtuse. But uh, are they justified? I'm gonna give it a five. Pretty justified, but not the most justified, especially considered what we've seen. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I agree with you mostly. I think the one kill that I feel good about is uh, when he kills that one guy in the last like scene in that house. You know, the last oh, minute. Says, That's why we're going to fucking Philadelphia. Yeah, because F that guy. You could hear it in his voice, and so I'm glad he got it through that guy. I'll give it a five also, though. I love that part where he the guy's saying, and he just he just walks. For, I mean, he just shoots him immediately yeah. with that automatic. It's like, fuck, it's so Beautiful. good. Um, okay, category number three. Oh, by the way, that was a, a three from Zishan, a five from me, and a five from Adam, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Category number three, and this is gonna it's going to make up some points here, I think. How good is the what Adam calls the conversation before the storm? It's a trope in revenge movies where a character tries to talk another character out of getting the ultimate revenge they're seeking. In this film, obviously, we have uh, what's the gentleman's name? Brian. Ben. The, ben. Ben. Yeah. He. 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 There is. There is a conversation before the storm in this movie. It's. Uh. He kind of talks to him and is like, um, basically, like, are you ready for this? Or I can't remember the the way the exact conversation goes, but there's definitely one there. How would you rate it one through ten? Uh, I give it a ten. Yeah, I give yeah. it 10, too. I mean, I think yeah. the dialogue in this movie is just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to give it an 8 because I'm thinking we might see a better version of this trope down the line. But uh, I watched that scene and was smiling because I knew this category existed and was like, yeah, it's a pretty good conversation before the storm. Uh, so that's getting a 10, a 10, and an 8. Mm-hmm. Category number 4, how strong is the closure at the end of the story? 
I don't know. I don't know what a lesser movie would have done with Dwight. And I ask myself that question often, right? Like, what? Right, where a lesser movie doesn't show Dwight die. It shows Ryan Gosling with a stab wound driving down the highway as mm-hmm. synthwave music plays. Um, what, what movie are you talking about? Drive. Drive what? Drive Angry with Nicolas Cage? Just crushing silence. <laughs> I, I don't do do not do not edit out that specific silence. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so I, I would give it a seven. I give it a seven. You know, it, it's what yeah. I wanted to happen. I felt like I just was pushed off of a cliff and then free fall at the end of that movie. Um, and I think that's exactly what Saulnier wanted, and it worked. And yeah, I think a lesser movie shows Dwight not die. So I'm glad that what happened happened, but I didn't love seeing him lose his life. Yeah, uh, so I, I'm going to go with a six here, uh, similar along the line. I mean, this is uh, in, in many ways sort of an anti-revenge. The, the Just the fact that it's so grounded, we're getting an extremely realistic ending here. The category is not how realistic is the ending, it's how strong it is. Uh, pretty strong, but not the strongest. I'm giving it a six. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the great things about this movie, too, is there's that, like, quick scene where we see uh, when one of the family members gets that machine gun or whatever, she actually ends up shooting the other family member right oh, in the back. So, it's so good. Yeah, dude. really good, like, quick little thing. I'm glad they all sort of died. I think this is a really strong ending. Um, I'm very satisfied with it because, you know, you have to lose yourself in revenge, in the pursuit. And I also like that it touches, again, on the cycle of violence possibly continuing. With the one kid getting away, the sister is still out there. You know, we could we could ask these questions, and I think it's reasonable to ask. And so I'll give it a nine. A nine, okay. Blue Rune making a comeback here after that harsh zero up top. Category number five: How cool slash clever are the weapons used for revenge? This can be literal, or it can be um, if there's psychological weapons being used. But in this movie, it's a lot of just very literal weapons. How how cool clever are they? One to ten. Um, I'll give a 10 because I think that they're cool in the sense that they're realistic. And I think that the way that we get to the violence and the way that we get to the weapons through Ben is very smart and it makes a lot of sense and it's still like very heartfelt. So I give that a 10. Yeah, we're vibing here. I'm giving it an eight. Uh, I, I, I love the montage of learning how to shoot. Uh, the, the, like um, Adam said when they, like, I think it's like, a, is it like an Uzi at the end? Like, it's so wild when they get to like, like when we see like the automatic rifles, what they do in- indoors. And it's just like, you know, this is like a low budget movie and it's just like tearing up these people and like these rooms and stuff. And you just feel the weight of the violence. I'm going with an eight. Yeah, I'm going with a four. Um, how cool are the actual weapons? Well, they're pretty standard. I'll give bonus points for the 18 gun and the cool steak knife at the beginning. But for the most part, you know, I've played Call of Duty. I know what's going on here. Yeah. So, so what would you give that a four? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, we have a bonus revenge round final showdown location. How strong, how cool is the final showdown location? I think that it's probably exactly where it needs to be right i mean it's at their house he brought it home to them um so i give it an eight if, if it wasn't if it wasn't in blue ruin literally in his car like somehow integrated into the final showdown then i think that this was the second best choice uh it is not in blue ruin uh, i'm giving it a six <laughs> um it kind of is in blue ruin right the last lines are the keys are in the car 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We tie it back. Um, but like Zishan said, uh, it ties into the tagline, Revenge Comes Home or whatever. So I'd give it an eight also. An eight. Okay, that'll do it then. So, uh, Zishan, overall, it looks like you have given the film a 38. Uh, it looks like I have given the film a uh, 43. Wow. <laughs> it looks like, Adam, you have given the film a paltry 37 so 37 43 and 38 sorry everyone i always add this up on the fly although that mental math went pretty quickly i would have to say 38 plus 43 plus 37 gives this film an overall rating of 118 now against the other seven films we are doing in this series i cannot tell you in context if that is good or bad i guess you'll have to just tune in to when we do our outro to revenge episode because Mm -hmm. We do all these episodes out of order, and if I tell you what I saw the devil got or the handmaiden got, then you know maybe this episode comes out first, and you don't have to listen to the handmaiden. I saw the devil to hear the scores. But how are you feeling about that 118? That's a 118 out of 180, right, Adam? Yeah, that's. <laughs> I love this movie, you know. It's hard yeah. to say where that place is. Uh, yeah, it, I'm looking at the scores right now, and I, I will say, just as a spoiler, there are lesser films that have scored higher on our scale. I don't know how that in the world that could be possible. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is, like, what we hit is to look for how well these movies uh, click into the tropes of of revenge, right? So a more cliche movie would probably rank higher. It is what it is. That's why I call it arbitrary and Byzantine. <laughs> Um, awesome. So yeah, 118 out of 180. I can't say if it's strong, can't say if it's weak, but, uh, that brings us to the end here. That was uh, efficient. Zishan, do you have anything that you'd like to plug before we get out of here? I know I mentioned, uh, uh prefigured. Where can people find that film? Yeah. Um, before I get to the plugs, I, I just want to thank you both for having me on here. It's been a truly a pleasure while simultaneously very miserable, um, which is, I think, really um, representative of Trevor and I's friendship. Um, so thank you both for having me. I can't wait to hear the rest of the episodes. Um, yeah, I, I, as Trevor mentioned, I am a filmmaker, um, writer, director, producer. Hold on. I'm so sorry. Hold on. Hold on. You said you were a filmmaker? Yeah, you'll call me a director. Um, others will call me um, an asshole or maybe um, will say I have commitment issues. I mean, it's really all up to interpretation. <laughs> Um, but you can find Prefigured on my website, uh, Uh That's also my Instagram. It's also my Twitter because I am a genius at branding myself across all major media platforms. Um, and yeah, that's where you can find my 10 and a half minute uh, cough, um, award-winning short film. Um, and I hope that you enjoy it. And Adam, I really... I don't want you to watch it. I really don't. I don't think you should. Yeah, well, uh, for my plugs, uh, I'm going to be at Projector Fuel on Instagram where I review the movies that I watch. I'm checking out this movie by this uh, renowned filmmaker. It's called Prefigured Tonight. So uh, you can maybe see on there. I'll post a review. Other than that, that's me. And my plugs are I have a Lebertoxed, which I use a lot in this. Uh, I will not say Letterboxed until they pay us. It's at Captain Dills. My personal Twitter and Instagram are at Trevor Dills. And uh, you can follow us, always follow us, at Ghost Party Picks or go to ghostpartypictures.com. This, of course, has been Ghost Party Radio. Zeeshan, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Zeeshan. Uh, thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck on all this fine work that you're doing. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to Ghost Party Radio. We have Ruined Blue. Bye. Bye. See ya. Okay. Mm, that's a 10.